0: Yeah, we're leaving the Gospel of John this morning to preach from uh, the book of Hosea. We read the selected portions of it there in the Scripture reading. And, but I want to uh, read again from Hosea 11, verses 1 through 12. So if you'll turn in your Bibles there to Hosea, the, it's uh, right after Daniel. It is the first of 12 minor prophets. The minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, were really included in just one book. They are separate books in our our English Bibles, but uh, in the Hebrew they're one book, the minor prophets. And the 11th chapter is where my main text is from when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son and then he proceeds here the more they were called the more they went away they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took him by the arm, their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. Now now he's talking judgment here. He said, I'm not going to send them back to Egypt. I redeemed them out of Egypt. But Assyria shall be their king. Because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities. And consume the bars of their gates and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. You hear the condemnation right there? My people are bent on turning away from me. I loved them, I cherished them, I cared for them, but they're bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. In other words, they're, they're bent from going away from me, but when they are in trouble, they crawl out to me, Lord, help us. But he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. But then notice in verse 8, here you hear the heartbeat of God again. How can I give you up, O he, for him? How can I hand you over O Israel? How can I make you like Adma and how can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am a God I am God, not a man, the holy one in your midst and I will not come in wrath. Well, that's interesting. How? How's that, gonna, how's that possible? They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion and when He roars, His children shall come trembling from the west. In other words, here's, what, here's how I'm going to do it. It's going to be a scary situation. And they're going to come trembling from the west. And they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. And like doves from the land of Assyria. And I shall return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. Now he goes back to their original condition Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. How many times have we lied to the Lord? We promise Him things and then we don't follow through. Ah, in the house of Israel with deceit. Oh, I belong to Jesus, but I love the world. (laughs) But, notice that. Judah still walks with God. What? You know, sometimes these Old Testament passages are head scratchers. How was Judah? In fact, if you read, if you read the the, further in the prophets, you'll find that God was very, very strong in His condemnation that Judah had just followed her wicked sister and was doing worse. Judah walks with God. But see, there's here is symbolic language, and what we need to do is understand in this this symbolic language what God is really saying here. That doesn't it doesn't square with what we observe, but it does square with what God intends. And. Uh, walks with god yet there was a real sense in which judah had returned from captivity the captivity of babylon and god restored her to the land of israel but why so that jesus christ would come the seed of david of the tribe of judah and is faithful to the holy one that's grace not not uh, he did not treat them according to their deserts. so this is uh this is the book of hosea now i'm going to try to to explain a little bit about it in in this in this way let me for, for uh, introduction here note that hosea the very name hosea and this is interesting because these names are significant it's actually Hoshia in the uh, Hebrew language, and it means salvation, Hoshia. Josh, you know, the, the, the name Joshua, Jehovah saves, Joshua, sh- Shia. So Hoshia, salvation, and it is a book that provides for us a great picture of salvation. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. The, the, the nation was divided. There was the northern kingdom of Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea was ministering in that northern kingdom of Israel. His, the length of his ministry is extraordinary. 70 to 80 years he preached in that land. And it covered a very, very dark period of, of uh the Northern Kingdom's history, because the judgment of God was about to fall upon that nation, and they were about to be carried away into the Assyrian captivity, never to be known of again. I mean, we talk about the lost tribes of the nation of Israel. Well, that's that's the Northern the Northern Kingdom. They would be scattered among the nations by the awful Assyrian Empire. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of, uh, uh, if you look on YouTube and some of those places, there's a lot of people who have all these great ideas about where they are today. (laughs) And, uh, oh, we found found the lost tribes of the the children of Israel. Uh, I don't think so. But notice then, secondly, Hosea's domestic life. And here's, this is the ticker here. This is where it really comes. It's used here to illustrate God's message to the nation. Notice chapter one, verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom." Now, what's a wife of whoredom? interesting when I'm typing this, or when I was uh, typing this out there, my my uh, word program kind of had a little some dots underneath whoredom and. And so I hovered over that and then I got this little message. This might this this terminology might be offensive to your to your readers. (laughs) Horedom. But but that's that's the language of the Hebrew here. A wife of Horedom. What does that mean? He married this woman, Gomer, who was a temple prostitute in Baal worship. But God commanded her to, him to do it. And boy, I tell you what, that is a head-scratcher. And there's all kinds of... Uh, i In fact, I thought about listing the, the reasons why I believe that, that, that... But it, I, it, the, I don't need to give you a list of reasons. There's one bottom line there, and that is God said do it, and, it, and Hosea obeyed him and did it. So the question here, see, and then notice the rest of the verse. And have children of whoredom. What does that mean? That's children that are consequence of her infidelities. Did she stop her infidelities in the marriage? No. And the children that she bore were not Hosea's children. They were the children of the her, of her infidelities. Boy, talk about an object lesson. Here's an object lesson. God says to Israel, "You are Gomer. I married you. You're a and you sought to prostitute yourself to the Baals, and you've broken my heart again and again." Interestingly, Hosea divorced her. Well, she actually left him. And he divorced her. So then God comes to Hosea again and he says, get her back. And he goes and purchases her, redeems her for the price of a slave. Actually, less than the price. The price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver He got her for far less than that. Isn't that amazing? But see, there's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's redeemed us. You know what redeeming is? It means God paid the price of a slave. And I tell you what, He bought us for a whole lot more than 30 pieces of silver. For the blood of His own son. And the reason is, God said, made, made it clear here, the reason for the whole thing was for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The land. The land of Israel. So Gomer's children represent the fruit of the rebellion. And we'll, I'm going to touch upon that here in a minute. But the prophet Samaritan was commanded to illustrate the plan of redemption by which the Lord would take unto himself a bride, the church, who would had previously been under sin, alienated from God, serving various lusts and passions. Like Hosea in chapter 3, Jesus redeemed his bride, sanctifying her to himself. And according to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 to 27, says, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He bought us a bunch of wretched sinners that deserved the, nothing but the fires of hell. And now, we're in the process of we're in the process of the washing. He washes us with the water of the Word. How how important is this book in our lives? This this is absolutely essential to our spiritual life. Period. We need to be in the Word of God often. And the purpose of it is to cleanse us, so that one day. We will be standing before Jesus without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That is amazing. We are going to be holy and without blemish before him. All the work of his marvelous grace. And Hosea here was obedient, even though the act was repulsive to his inclination in, in its initiation and an overwhelming sorrow in its experience. Can you imagine the grief? That that poor man went through. When his wife bore him three children. So we're talking a number of years. Not one of them his own. Yet Hosea did it. And by it what he did learn was hesed, Covenant love the kind of love the Lord has for His people. He, learned, he, he, he discovered what it looks like and what it feels like. Thirdly, here the Scriptures reveal God's loving His chosen people, Israel, showing kindness and covenant mercies and promising them great things. And this covenant love, however, did not change the hearts of the rebellious people. Over and over, he expressed his covenant love to them, and over and over, they resisted him and rebelled against him, just like we do. I, one day, I was reading years, years ago. I'm reading there out of the Old Testament. I said, "How could these dumb people do the dumb things they did?" And then all of a sudden, I realized, "Why do you do the dumb things you do?" I'm no better than they, saved by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit. This covenant love didn't change their hearts, and therefore God warned them of His wrath and judgment. And yet they continued to refuse to hear His word. Thus God commanded, or com, uh, condemned. Excuse me. Thus God condemned them under judgment. And that judgment came with awful results. At the same time, God continued to promise His covenant love to them. Even in the judgment. Therefore, so we read there in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will make the valley of Achor, which means trouble. Achor means trouble a door of hope. Do you, do, you hear, do you hear the truth here? Sometimes God brings troubles into our lives, but the troubles that He brings into our lives are for us a door of hope. Not a bad thing. And, and so we read there, And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. She's going to see the power of God, in other words. How is that possible? And when did that happen? That's the question. So, as I said earlier, Hosea divorced his unfaithful wife, and later the Lord said to him, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Chapter 3, verse 1. And after he redeemed her, then the Lord declared Israel's future for the children of Israel may dwell many days without a king or a prince or a a sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. Now look. And David, their king, that's jesus and they shall fear the lord they shall come in fear to the lord and to his goodness in the latter days i think that's what paul is talking about in romans chapter 11 so here's a conflicted message this conflicted message rises uh, raises here some real questions in our minds Israel sins, God threatens, God repents, God promises. Israel continues to sin, and again, God rejects her. So how is it possible for the promises of God's restoration to be realized in in the persistent unrepentance of the nation? If they're going to continue and persistently Resist him and reject him. How is he going to heal them? That's the issue. And I believe the divine solution is revealed in chapter 11 and verse 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. The immediate context of these words concerns ethnic Israel. Delivered from the bondage of Egypt and taken to the promised land. However, there's a second hidden message in this. Like, the, like the, a plan of God, like Acor, the door of hope. That hidden resolution was revealed in Matthew's Gospel. In chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 says, now when they, referring to the wise men, remember the wise men came from the east to find the baby Jesus. They went to Jerusalem, the capital, and, and asked Herod the king where this child was to be born. And of course, the uh, priests knew the scribes. They it didn't take them a second. They said, Bethlehem of Judea written there in, in Micah 52 so Herod said you go find him and when you found him come and bring me word again that I can that I'll go and worship him which meant no I'm not going to worship him I'm going to put a dagger in his heart because I'm not going to give my throne up to anybody so the the, the Wise men were warned of God in a dream, don't go back to Jerusalem, go home some other way. And then when Herod found out that, he, that uh, uh, they, they weren't going to bring him, word, of word Herod got angry and decided, I'm going to go there and find him myself and I'm going to slaughter all the male infants that I, that I find so I get them. So we read here that when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, take the young child, or take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, Joseph, arose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This, now listen, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. So, how was this reference fulfilled? It was fulfilled in Jesus. The Holy Spirit Clearly, guiding Matthew, writing under the inspiration of Scripture, attributes the words of the prophet to Jesus, not ethnic Israel. See, the thing is, there's two Israels. I read an interesting article there. Uh, This fellow spent a lengthy article arguing that the church does not replace Israel. He quotes from all kinds of people. And when, he, and when I got done reading the article, I went back through and I looked for the, all, the ver- all the scriptures that he cites that will prove his point. Not one verse anywhere from the scriptures. Just his argument. I got done and I said, well, he, he's right on one, si- on one side... The church does not replace Israel. It does not. But the church fulfills Israel. There's a big difference. Jesus Christ. See, there's two Israels in view. The first is ethnic Israel, which is the natural descendant of Adam, which persistently refused to hear and obey the Lord. The second, the true Israel is also a second Adam hearing and obeying his heavenly father all who are in are called to faith in him in Jesus Christ are in him positionally this is important they're in Christ as the Israel of God and it includes many of ethnic israel but also a host of gentiles that have been delivered from the curse of the first adam our being in jesus christ is the great thing we have been delivered from the curse of adam now that was a long introduction so let me explain it here in a couple of things number one is the divine principle the divine principle here is union how is god going to be able to restore a rebellious people by putting them in union with Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the simple answer. And it's going to include a great host of Old Testament people, the, pe- the people of Israel, the, the ethnic pe- people of Israel, but it's also going to, as I said, include a host of Gentiles as well. Now, here's the principle. We see that uh, at, in, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. Paul makes this interesting statement. In Adam, all die. So, in other words, in the same way. Here's, here, here's a pattern. In Adam, all die. If you're in Adam, death. So, also, in the same way, in Christ shall all be made alive. When I first read that years ago, I said, "Wait, does that mean everybody's going to be saved? But then I, get, then I realized, no, it's your location. If you're in Christ, you will be made alive. You have to be in Christ. If you're in Adam, and all of us are in Adam, we die. It's pointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Every single human being ever born on the face of the earth came into existence in Adam. But not everybody is in Christ. Only those who are born of the Spirit of God are in Christ. But here's the principle. In Adam, you die. In Christ, you're made alive. Adam was the seminal head of the race. That is, every one of us are related to each other. Because Adam is our father, eventually. Not one person who lives upon the face of planet Earth is not related to everybody else that lives upon the planet Earth when you, go, when you take your family tree back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. And it's interesting, and I've read a couple of interesting articles on that, where they're arguing that science is now looking at all this DNA and and saying, scratching their heads and saying, it is very clear that we all have a common ancestor. Yeah, Adam. So that presents the problem here, because... uh, in Adam, all died. Adam sinned, and we sin. And the Scriptures are very clear here in Ro- in Romans chapter six, verse twenty three: the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, how do we get out of Adam and into Christ? That's the that's the issue of salvation. And now, now there's a the covenant theory, and I reject the covenant theory. I'm a covenant theologian, but I am a covenant theologian only to one uh, uh, in one area. I'm not, and that is according to the covenant theology view. Adam was the covenant or representative head of the race. In other words, Adam was was elected by God to stand in for me. It's kind of like in our uh, political system. We elect a representative. They go to Washington to represent us. And I've confronted a couple of them already. I said, what are you going to do when they go up there and they tell you this is the way it is and you look at the rest of us here, when we sent you there to represent us, that you quit representing us and start representing them. See, representative. Adam was our representative before God. So when Adam sinned, God says, I'm going to condemn the whole human race on, on Adam's failure. So he did so for all mankind. And so all Adam's descendants become guilty of his sin, incurring his sin's penalty. And that, my question is how is that fair? is it fair for sinners that Adam did that merely represented them without their knowledge or consent and sinned and i now have to bear the brunt of adam's guilt that's not fair but uh, but we know that's a fact there is there is one factual truth i'm a sinner and i'm condemned and i'm And Adam, because of what Adam did. So my question is, how is this the problem? The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Well, I sin. So whether Adam represented me or not, is it really irrelevant? I sinned. And I deserve... The condemnation of death, but we a little baby's born into the world, and you look at that little baby and say, you know what, that little baby's a sinner, <laughs> and it doesn't take long before you figure it out. Babies lie. I I've raised five of them. I know that they are liars. They're screaming and hollering. You think that there's something drastically wrong. You run into there and they just want your attention. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. But I think there's a better explanation for this and that is that Adam's connection to the human race is, is not covenantal, a covenantal representative. Adam connection to the race is really seminal, that is, seed. He's the head of the race. Everybody who's ever been born has Adam's nature. We are sinners because we were born sinners. Because Adam sinned. His nature passes on to his descendants the same way that one inherits the physical characteristics of his parents. How many of us have said, you look just like your mother. You just look just like your father, etc. Because we pass on characteristics to our children. Adam passed characteristics on to his children who passed them on to right on down the line to us. So everyone is... As a sinner, by virtue of having been born to parents who were sinners, and thus the natural union of all in Adam. In Adam, all die. So now we turn it around. However, in Christ shall all be made alive, and here we have another head scratcher. How is this possible? How couldn't there be a seminal relationship to Christ? Jesus is not my ancestor. Well, how does that work? And I believe the answer there is found in in uh, Christ becoming a human being, according to uh, through the unique work of the Holy Spirit of God supernaturally impregnating a woman. So we read there in in Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen: "Behold, a virgin shall conceive." and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when the Virgin Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she was to bear a son, she immediately inquired, How will this be, since I am a virgin? In Luke chapter 1, verse 34. And Gabriel explained it to her, that Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called holy, sinless. The only baby to be born sinless was Jesus Christ. Adam was made sinless, but he was not, he was not a baby. <laughs> he was a full adult. Jesus is the only baby ever born in the human race that was sinless, holy. But then the angel goes on and says, the Son of God. And when we read that, we immediately say, Yeah, he was the He was God come in the flesh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. That's not what He meant. And that's you and I's hope. This is the acor, the, the, the door of hope for us, is that He is the Son of God. What does that mean? Let me explain it to you. The first thing is, and I think there are two things here that, that we, we need to consider. The first one is that Jesus is sinless. That's our first, that's the first thing that we have to establish. As in Adam all die, now if Jesus, if I'm going to be in Jesus Christ, he cannot be a sinner, or I would die. So he's sinless. He, and the scriptures are very clear on that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was, it was deceit found in him. He never lied, never told a lie, never even, not a gray lie, not a blue lie, not a green uh, green lie, no lie, not even a white lie. In him was no deceit. And he's quoting there, uh, uh, deceit found in his mouth. That's citing Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest no it's priest this was this was Hosea's issue who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin then also First John chapter 3 and verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. The sinless son of God became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now the second thing is what I want to dwell on a little more. That is Jesus possesses a unique human existence. When he's called the Son of God, it is not a reference to his deity. It's a reference to his humanity. In what way? I think this is very important to understand. Like Adam, Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam was created by the direct act of God. God took dirt, formed it into a man, Then he breathed, spirited, into his nostrils the spirit of life, and Adam became a living soul. My human spirit is a gift from God, and that is real life. Now, an unsaved person lives, but his spirit is dead. And when he dies, physically he will never see God except in judgment. But when a man is saved, the Holy Spirit breathes new life into him and he becomes a child of God and his spirit is revived. Born again. Born again of the Spirit. Now, how does that fit? Jesus Christ did not he didn't, he didn't have no sin. He, didn't, he was not reborn. How is Jesus Christ the Son of God? See, here's the thing. See, Gabriel explained it to, to Mary. How can, how can this be? I don't know a man. And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And that which is going to be implanted in your womb will be Holy. A seed from God. Directly a seed from God in your womb. And so the child that's to be born of you will be sinless. He will not have Adam sinned. Because he's a son of God. That is created directly as a work of God. Just like Adam. You see that? I you know I as I wrestled about that. The it's <laughs> interesting how the Lord confirms these things to you. Go back to John chapter 10. We were reading John chapter 10. Again. And in verse 34 See they're they're arguing with Jesus. They're saying he's committed blasphemy. How? Because he made himself a son of God. See, they had the idea that he was making himself equal with God and deity. Now he was, I I want to make that clear, I do not have any question about Jesus' deity. He was God come in the flesh. But what they're angry about is he called himself the son of God. So he's correcting them. And notice what he says in verse 34. They, they they said you're committing a blasphemy they were ready to stone him for that blasphemy because he being a man made himself god well he didn't need to make himself god he already was god but but jesus answered them notice what he answered them is it not written in your law i said you are gods if he called them gods to whom the word of god came the scripture cannot be broken so how can you say that I'm blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? Boy, that I tell you what, you read this. You read the uh, uh, commentaries. The, the 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 commentators are all over themselves trying to figure that one out. It's as simple as pie. I said, whoa. What did he quote? He quoted Psalm 82. Go to Psalm 82 for a minute. I said, this is, a, this is incredible. And he's talking here about uh, the host of heaven, the angels. Every one of the angels is a son of God. Why are they a son of God? Because they were created as a direct act of God. There is no... genealogy among the angels. (laughs) No, No angel can say, he's my dad or that's my grandfather or he's my ancestor back there. No, they were all created directly at the hand of God. So this is written to them and condemning them because God put them over the nations and instead of dealing with them righteously, they dealt with them sinfully. Angels sinned. The angels do sin. They have sinned. Many angels have sinned. So now God says to them, down in verse number 6, you are gods. What does that mean? Elohim. That means you are are directly created by me. And then he explains it. Sons of the Most High. All of you. How? How? Because they were created directly at the hand of God. By being directly created at the hand of God, they don't know death. There are no angel graveyards. You ever seen one? Here lies Gabriel. Died, you know, whatever. <laughs> birth and death. Birth and death date. None. But what does God say? Nevertheless... Like men, you shall die. The angels that sin are one day going to suffer the same fate of Adam. Now, it didn't mean that they'll cease to exist, it means they're going to rot in hell, suffer in hell for eternity. Jesus used this to explain his situation. In other words, he's saying to them, like the angels, I was created in the womb of Mary by the direct act of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, I'm different from all of you in the fact that while I am a human being like you, I'm sinless. And that is the only way I can be saved. A second Adam has to come. That's the message of Hosea. Out of Egypt have I called my son. So all who are in Christ have eternal life and can never die. They come in Christ through the new birth. Just like Jesus, my spirit, dead spirit, is called to life. Now, unlike Jesus, I, Jesus didn't have a dead spirit that was called to life. Jesus didn't had a spirit directly created by God as life, as living. But when I am born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God breathes new life into me and I become a child of God. So in Christ, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Listen to that. I'm just like the angels now. I'm not going to die well I, I, physically I will probably die or may not Jesus may come and call me to himself before I die those of us who are alive and, and survive Paul says there in First Thessalonians chapter 4 shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with the Lord but I may die too physically but that's really that's no big deal it's to be into the very presence of the Lord. In Christ, so we read there in uh, uh, for, uh, John chapter th- uh, 3, verse 8. We are born of the Spirit. Those who are born of the Spirit. As that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Mar- marvel not, that I said unto you, you must be born again. And then in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we have that explained. But to all who did receive Him, who, who believed in His name, that's the result of the new birth, He gave the right to be the, become sons of God. It's children of God here, but it's really sons of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God. So we have here the new people in Christ made up of more than redeemed Israelites. Gentiles are then now part of this Israel of God. And so it's interesting how Caiaphas prophesied this. Caiaphas was high priest. Notice priest again. God used a priest in Israel in Jesus' day to make a marvelous statement. And this is what he said. Being high priest that year... That is John eleven verse fifty one and fifty two says being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, but for the nation of not for the nation of Israel only, but also to gather in one the sons of God scattered abroad, <laughs> including Gentiles. Aren't you glad? We're part of that. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to consider the truth that here that's shared. And Lord, we we're going to continue in this because there, there's so much truth here. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We need it to be the ground of our faith. We need to walk on firm territory because Lord things are the earth is getting shaky and we need to have confidence in who we are and what we are to be able to face what is to come i'm asking for your grace now in jesus name amen